Throughout the prayer of Christ for his disciples in John 17, the so-called high priestly prayer, we have Christ praying for God's glory. Um, Here, too, as elsewhere, we find the idea that the perception of this manifested truth works towards a union of man with God. In other passages, glory is equivalent to praise rendered to God in acknowledgement of his majesty and perfections manifested objectively in the world or through supernatural revelation. Thou art worthy, O Lord, our God, says the Apocalypse, to receive glory and honor and power, because thou hast created all things. This is Apocalypse 4.11. Uh, Psalm 104.1, give glory to the Lord and call upon his name. The term is used also to mean judgment of a person of worth. So sometimes uh, I'll, I'll skip a little, I'll skip this because the idea here is that he's talking about how we can talk about the glory of man, the glory that's given to certain men. And it's to give glory to such and such a man is not a blasphemy. I mean, it's not divine honors necessarily. It's just saying that he's worthy of praise because he's worthy of honors because of his merit as a good man. Now, skipping ahead a little bit, the, the radical concept Uh, present under various modifications in all of the above expressions, in other words, every biblical meaning of the word glory, is rendered by St. Augustine as clara notitia cum laude, brilliant celebrity with praise. Brilliant celebrity with praise. Clara notitia cum laude. That's his definition of uh, glory. The philosopher and theologian have accepted this definition as the center around which they correlate their doctrine regarding glory, both divine and human. So now now he's going to consider divine glory only, and I'm not going to talk about human glory because it's not really the subject. Um, from, But from his infinity, he, meaning God, can and does give, and from his fullness we have all received. All things are only because they have received of him, and the measure of his giving constitutes the limitations of their being. Contemplating the boundless ocean of his reality, he perceives it as inimitable ad extra. That is, it, 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 he perceives it as imitable ad extra, uh, meaning outside of himself. So let me just summarize some of these thoughts so that we don't get bogged down in sort of Catholic geek talk here from the encyclopedia. What, what he's saying is this. God, because uh, there's a passage I kind of skipped a little bit, um, God can only create for a reason that was worthy of himself. When God created, it's not like us saying, oh, what am I going to do today? Well, I think I'll eat some Wheaties, and then I think I'll go out for a little walk, and then, you know, on a, on a free day, right, on a Saturday or, or weekend or, or holiday or something. I'm going to go out and, 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 and um you know, take a walk, I'll hang out with my friends, we'll play a game of pickup basketball, and then I'll listen to a Mahler symphony. I mean, so it's not like God got up one day and said, oh, I think I'll create a universe. Um, he doesn't, he's not um, fickle. He's not, uh, he, he act, always acts with purpose. And for God to do something outside of himself, because remember, for all eternity, he's content in himself. It's not like God got bored. Um for God to to do take the trouble of doing something outside of Himself to create, it has to be from a, a a motive that's worthy of God, and the only thing worthy of God is God Himself. So the only motive worthy for God to create is to render Himself glory. Now that's not selfish; it's not selfish on two counts. Number one, it's perfectly just because He's worthy of of praise and glory. Number two, keep in mind, there are three selves in God. There's the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. There's a perfect community of charity 
in the Holy Trinity. So, so nothing that the Holy Trinity does is selfish. So there's a there's a uh, glorification of God by, that, that comes about by creation. So the whole purpose of creation is to render glory to God. That's first. That's something we have to, to keep in mind. And this, this explains something of the immensity and the beauty and the depth and the height and the riches and the breadth of creation. Huh? So it's funny. The Catholic Encyclopedia gets almost poetic at this point. Everything which his fiat has called into existence is a copy, finite indeed and very imperfect, yet true as far as it goes, of some aspect of his infinite perfection. Each reflects in fixed limitation something of his nature and attributes. The heavens show forth his power. The earth's oceans are the glorious mirror where the almighty form glasses itself in tempests. The summer flower, though only to itself, it, though only of itself it live and die, is a silent witness before him of his power, goodness, truth, and unity, and the harmonious order which binds all the innumerable parts of creation into one cosmic whole is another reflection of his oneness and his wisdom. Yet as each part of creation is finite, so too is the totality, and therefore its capacity to reflect the divine prototype that is God himself, must result in an infinitely inadequate representation of the great exemplar. Nevertheless, the unimaginable variety of existing things conveys a vague hint of that infinite which must ever defy any complete expression external to itself. Now, this objective revelation of the Creator in terms of the existences of things is the glory of God. This objective revelation of the Creator in terms of the existences of things is the glory of God. This doctrine is authoritatively formulated by the Council of the Vatican. Listen to this. Vatican I taught this infallibly. Quote, If anyone shall say that the world was not created for the glory of God, let him be anathema. Okay, so uh, pretty powerful stuff, actually. Vatican I was interested in the glory of God. This objective manifestation of the divine nature constitutes the universe, the book, one might say, in which God has recorded his greatness and majesty. As the mirror of the telescope, okay, he's got this stupid telescope thing here that really doesn't do much for me, um, to praise in the exact sense of the term, demands not alone that worth be manifest, but also that there be a mind to acknowledge. The unconscious testimony of the universe to its creator is rather potential than actual glory. Hence, this glory which it renders to him is called in theological phrase, gloria materialis, in other words, just material glory. The, the, um, hence, the, to distinguish it from the formal glory rendered to God by his intelligent creatures, that's us and the angels, um, they can read the writing in the book of creation, understand its story, accept its lessons, and reverently praise the majesty which it reveals. This praise involves not merely intellectual perception, but also the practical acknowledgement by heart and will which issues in obedience and loving service. The endowment of intelligence, 
with all that it implies, spirituality and free will, renders man a higher and nobler image of the Creator than is any other being in this visible world. The gift of intellect also imposes on man the duty of returning to God that formal glory of which we have just spoken. The more perfectly he discharges this obligation, the more does he develop and perfect that initial resemblance to God which exists in his soul. And by the fulfillment of this duty, he serves the end for which he, like all else, has been created. So to give glory to God is, even naturally speaking, the end for which we were created. Now he's going to go up to the supernatural realm, the natural revelation which God has vouchsafed of himself through the world interpreted by reason has been supplemented by a higher supernatural manifestation which has culminated in the incarnation of the Godhead in Jesus Christ. And we saw his glory, the glory, as it were, of the Father full of grace and truth. Similarly, the natural resemblance to God and the relation of our being to his, as established by creation, are supplemented and carried into a higher order by his communication of sanctifying grace. To know God through the medium of this supernaturally revealed truth, to serve him in love, springing from this grace, is to be filled with the fruit of justice through Jesus Christ onto the glory and praise of God. So this is uh, St. Paul to the Philippians, uh, Philippians 1.11, filled with the fruit of justice. The fruit of justice, in other words, we're producing uh, works. There's produce coming from us, the fruits of justice, through Jesus Christ onto the glory and praise of God. In manifesting the glory of God by the development of their proper powers and capacities, inanimate creatures reach that perfection or fullness of existence which God has prescribed for them. Likewise, man achieves his perfection or subjective end, that is the end that each one of us has for ourselves, by giving glory to God in the comprehensive sense above indicated. He attains the consummation of his perfection, not in this life, but in the life to come. That perfection shall consist in a direct, immediate, intuitive perception of God. We see now through a glass in a dark manner, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even as I am known. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. In this transcendent knowledge, the soul shall become in a higher measure than that which uh, obtains by virtue of creation alone, a participant and therefore an image of the divine nature. So, to quote St. John from 1 John 3, 2, we shall be like to him because we shall see him as he is. So that objectively and actively the life in heaven shall be an unending ineffable manifestation and acknowledgement of the divine majesty and perfections. Thus we understand the scriptural language in which the future life of the blessed is described as a state in which, quote, and this is from 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all, beholding the glory of the Lord with open face, are transformed into the same image from glory to glory as by the Spirit of the Lord. And the rest of the articles on human glory. But, okay, so that gives you a, a hint, sort of dogmatically and, and somewhat historically, biblically, of the notion of the glory of God. Again, St. Augustine called it clara notitia cum laude, um, brilliant uh, celebrity with praise. So there's always praise attached to glory. Now, 
What I'd like to do at this point is go a little bit into the the um, the the pr um, liturgical um, proper. Uh, rather, I'm going to keep saying that the liturgical um, hymn that's one of the ordinaries of the Mass, namely the Gloria in Excelsis Deo. Let me just read you the text. I won't. Um, so it begins in Latin: Gloria in Excelsis Deo et in terra pax omnibus bonae voluntatis. This is scriptural. This comes from the Gospel of Saint Luke, and it's this is exactly what the angels say uh, that the. Um, shepherds, I almost call them pastors, the Latin word is pastor, but the, the shepherds heard this, they saw the angels, they saw all this light, and they heard the, 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 uh, this angelic choir singing this, and that's when the angels summoned uh, the shepherds to come to see the newborn king, but it, but it begins with this hymn, it's like they introduce themselves with a song, and, and get the attention of the shepherds with this song. Um, it describes him as an angelic host singing. Um, so, glory to God in the highest and on pe and peace on earth to men of goodwill. Uh, peace on earth, goodwill to men is a mistranslation, even though it's in a lot of popular Christmas carols. It's wrong. Okay, so how does, it, how does it continue? We praise thee, we bless thee, we adore thee, we glorify thee, we give thee thanks for thy great glory. An interesting turn of phrase. We give thee thanks for thy great glory. I'll talk about that in a minute. O Lord God, Heavenly King, God the Father Almighty, O Lord Jesus Christ, only begotten Son of God, Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, Thou who takest away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. Thou who takest away the sins of the world, receive our prayer. Thou who sittest at the right hand of the Father, have mercy on us. For Thou alone art the Holy One. Thou alone art the Lord. Thou alone art the Most High, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, in the glory of God the Father. Amen. So it's Trinitarian. I mean, the Holy Spirit only gets a little part at the end, but it's still Trinitarian. All three persons are invoked. God is glorified. Um, this is um, th th there's a there's a beautiful history to this hymn um, of praise that we have in our Latin liturgy. Um, in fact, Brian Kelly gives something of the history of it, and um, I'll just read you a little bit from an article that he wrote. 